Get to the church blind! Get to the church blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plans. Hey, church planner, it is Peyton Jones. Welcome to Hardcore Church Planning. We are going to talk today with someone that I've met not too long ago. Um, if you're involved with Exponential, you probably know the name Wackemeyer. And uh, I had the opportunity recently to go to a meeting that used to be known as Future Travelers. And although I knew Larry, I was a meeting in a meeting with he and uh, Todd Wilson and Ralph Moore. Um, everyone kept talking about Deb and how excited they were to see Deb. And Deb and Larry have been tag teaming in Long Beach, California. And they have been doing an amazing ministry there uh, as a couple and just... You know, Deb is a minister in her own right, has been doing incredible outreach. And when I got to meet Deb, I was like, okay, A, you need to meet my wife. And <laughs> B, you need to come on this podcast and tell everybody what you're telling me. Because this is the stuff that gets me excited and makes me want a church plant in as many neighborhoods as I possibly can before I die. There's not a race, and I'm sure I'd lose it, but... When I hear stories like this, I think like, man, if I could even plant in 10 more neighborhoods, I would be, I would die a happy man and, uh, still wouldn't have equaled Paul. But, uh, Deb has really, um, embodied something that's close to my, uh, heart, which is ministry in public space. And so she's going to share. So Deb, welcome on to the podcast. Thanks, Peyton. It is really exciting to, to share my story because I don't get to do it all the time. So I am very honored to even be on this podcast. Well, it, it just kind of goes to show, I mean, there are so many cool things going on in the kingdom of God that we, we don't really get to hear about. But for me, it's not about like saying the soundbite and punching the air in victory and saying, yeah, I talk to Christians good. What I yeah. love is non-believers out there in the community are talking about what you're doing. And to me, that's that's the real win. That's that's who gets to take home the trophy in heaven. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so you know, tell us a little bit. I mean, you you have a crazy story with this. Um, there, there's a couple things. It's it's community involvement and just seeing the needs in the community and really just so many people have cool ideas. But yeah. you're, um, it, it, I guess, the story is you know you've executed and you've you've got both a uh, community theater. And a community yeah. garden project that I'm going to let you talk. I'm not going to steal any of your thunder, but um, one, two, three, go. <laughs> I don't know where to start. I just want to hear your story. Okay. Well, I guess it's um, the community outreach really started in 2012 when I took over the community center at Light and Life. We purchased it in uh, 2010, and we did a, uh, a different group of people at Light and Life did a community survey. What did the community want? And based off of that uh, summary, I decided to address the initial needs of creative arts and having a safe place for kids to go for creative arts. Because at least in Long Beach, it's been cut from all the 
programs in the lower in the elementary and middle schools because the schools can't afford it. And so these kids who have a lot of money in suburban neighborhoods, they can afford these things. But where we are in North Long Beach, these kids are lower um, socioeconomic level and they just cannot afford it. So we started an after school program with a charter school on our campus and we offered a creative arts after school program. And it was a menu for middle school kids. They could There was a variety of things from computers to videography to the theater to the band and all of that. The school left a year and a half later, and I was left with no program because the kids, uh, it wasn't convenient for the kids to come to our campus because the parents would have to drive them. It doesn't make sense. We didn't have a bus to bring them to us. So the thing that was successful was the theater program. So we just jumped out in faith, me and uh, my director, Travis Wade, we got $21,000 in grants in a month, put in a community kind of theater space in the back end of my community center, and uh, decided to reach out into the local schools. Now we go into two middle schools and we do our um, auditions there. We also, ha it's very multi-generational, but we also bust them in. We get grants from Long Beach Arts Council and we bust them in. Uh, for one of the shows, some middle schoolers. So we sh we show them theater. And then off of that, we get a lot of kids interested. We are now in production for Romeo and Juliet. We've done, uh, this is our 13th production since 2012. So we just finished Beauty and the Beast. We had about 80 to 100 participants, all ages, and uh, most of them from very low income neighborhoods and very diverse uh, group of kids and adults. It is just like a hoot. It is so fun and it is never a dull moment. But what's really awesome is that we have kids coming back, even from that middle school saying, thank you for what you did because I didn't have this before. But now Travis, our director does discipleship with some of the kids who want it. Um, we're known in the community now, Long Beach Arts Council loves giving us money uh, we just got a huge $10,000 grant from the Port of Long Beach for our computer lab. We got brand new Macs. Wow. We teach them the media. They get to do all the media for the place. They do all the lighting, the sound. They do the whole in the whole thing. And it's we we are pretty sure we're the only free um, theater program in Southern California because the kids pay nothing, not wow. even costumes, nothing. You know, this this is something that to me is so cool because you always hear people say, I, I love how you point out, you know, the, the Arts Council uh, loves to give us money. I love that because, you know, you always hear people that, you know, I, I would say they're really out of touch with where people are um, yeah. with Christianity. I think a lot of people like the idea of the church. They really do. But yeah. what they don't like is the behavior of the church and the yeah. lack of activity that people know. Like, like I think when the church says, Hey, we're here to serve the poor. Yeah. Everybody gets it and says, yeah, uh, that's, that's what we thought you guys were supposed to be doing. Yes. And, and have been waiting for it to, to see it, you know, but like, yeah, like we've been, I, I mean, I've talked to a lot of council, city council members and people in politics. They're waiting for the church to provide yeah. these cert. They need the help. They and do. I, I love, and they're not the, the, the great Satan out there that's ready to crush a church. They're saying, come help us. We share a they comment. Are. We both want to serve this city. 
They are. Our city councilman um, is a good friend. He just gave his testimony at our Sunrise Easter service. And he really much, pretty much says we are the most influential church in his district, doing the most. He has given me personal accolades as hmm. being one of the most influential women in his district because of the work we're doing for the community. Hmm. They support us. They push us. I did, when I first started the community center, I was able, through a relationship with really God bringing it together, I um, was uh, asked to be on the faith-based council she developed with Department of Children and Family Services. These are the people who take kids out of homes. And they um, are giving money to these seven churches that sit on the council because DCFS LA County got a huge grant uh, of money. And we shape all the programs that happen in our churches to strengthen families. But she loved me so much, she was willing to give me extra money, bought me all the equipment to do an outdoor movie night. Because in the local park around the corner, the most notorious park in Long Beach where all these murders have happened. Mm. Um, what park is that? Uh, Ramona Park. Okay. All right. Yeah. And so in North Long Beach. And so... She, I asked her, what do you need from us? She goes, we need more foster parents. We need to recruit. I said, well, how about mm. we do movie nights in the park and we do a mini resource fair and you guys recruit. And okay. Okay. Let me interrupt. I'm sorry, <laughs> but you have to know people listening. When you say movie night in the park, yeah. these two words don't typically go together. Night and park in Long Beach. Okay. Like. Yeah. Like we met in Bixby Park, but we did not go there at night. Yeah. And we had people from the homeless community that lived in Bixby and say, no, don't come here at night. Right? Like right. just don't. And right. so, so I, I just wanted to pause and say, you have to understand what Deb's actually saying here. When she says movie night in the park at night, that is an extremely bold move. Yeah, it actually was because. This is where most murders happen. In fact, that after-school program, our very first play, Jerome, was a very volatile kid. He was our James and James and the Giant Peach. He <laughs> was murdered there a year ago. A gang, a gang murder. He was oh murdered in that park. So, you know, that this is that park, and this right. is where these kids are from. And we went in there. We did four movie nights in this park. We started out with 300, about 300 the first night. By the end of the month, we had over 500 people. There were kids playing on the playground equipment at 10 p.m. in this park. Their bikes just sitting against trees. Families sitting in this park where they would have never come to this park. We were astounded. And it was funded by Department of Children and Family Services. We didn't pay anything. And we had this festival funding. So we got to keep the equipment. We still do it on our campus. We still reach out into the community. But it, I wish there was still back at the park. But now the park is doing it. Wow. Because the park was doing it. But now the park's taking that over. Right. Wow. That's amazing. Well, you know, when I walked in to um – you know, I guess it was, I'm guessing it was Beauty and the Beast when I walked into the church building, which you guys have as an outbuilding. So what I love is like, okay, like you got to forgive me this, Deb, but you got to know how my brain thinks. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I think in cartoons, comic books, movies, everyone who knows, knows you don't want to play me trivial pursuit on pop culture, but 
<laughs> sports, you'll kill me, but but I think of it as kind of like Batman. When Batman wants to take Gotham, you know, he's got all these little places all over the city that, that he's got little exits from the Batcave. And you guys not only have that theater that's right there, it's, you don't have to go into the church building, but it's kind of on the, you guys have a shared parking lot and it's kind of on the grounds, as it were, kind of next door, right? Yeah. But then, you know, which is cool. That's a really cool setup. But then to know that you've got all these fingers out into the community and we, we haven't even really talked about the community garden. I mean, kind of, Walk us in that. And then I want to pull out some like things I've learned, things I wish knew back, you know, I knew back yeah. then, but, yeah. uh, kind of unpack what, what happened with the garden project? <laughs> that, that is God. Absolutely <laughs> God. Because I became a, uh, I, in 2010, I put a garden on our church site where there was 11 feet wide, 120 feet long, just weeds. And some friends helped me put in a raised bed garden and we started growing food. And the first year, we probably gave away about 3,000 pounds of food at church, organic produce to our low-income church. And that was awesome. And I got excited about growing food, so I became a master gardener. From there, I was working on my doctoral work with Fuller, my doctorate of ministry, and, and really praying, God, what is my final project? What am I going to do? I've been praying that for seven years. And God told me at Candlewood in Del Amo, I mean at Del Amo and Lakewood Boulevard, he said community garden. Long Beach just offered land in the parks for community gardens for nonprofits. Wow. So I went to Fuller. They were super excited. Go for it. Applied with the city for Ramona Park, where we had already done the movie nights, to put in a community garden. In the meantime, a guy in our church, Bob, who works with Metro Community Development, part of Navigators, they live incarnationally in Compton. Wow. And Bob said, got a piece of land? All the guy wants is an organic garden for free. Do you want it? And I said, no, but I'll help you. <laughs> I love it. That's how you know it's God is you don't want it, but it's there and you're like, yeah. Exactly. In fact, in 23 years, we had been in uh, at Light Life. I had never driven to, Gar to Compton. It was three miles away. I'd never even driven into it because I was so afraid. So I went up and looked at the land with Larry. He said, you're not doing this. It's mm. too scary. And I said, yes, I am. Maybe. No. So I told Bob, no, I was still with Ramona Park. I started consulting with them. And eventually the city of Long Beach dropped the ball and they admitted it later on that they didn't give me the land. A lot of reasons. I was working with a city councilman. He couldn't even figure it out. Mm. But I, it was God because God knew if he called me to Compton, I'd say no. Right. Which I so I said yes to Bob, and six months later, we had a garden in Compton. And we had been shut down at one point by the, that city manager at the time because he said there will never be a community garden in Compton. Wow. And he shut us down where we were in production um, building stage, and we went and presented to the planning commission. They, they voted unanimously for us, and we're the first community garden in Compton. And we have been there since November 2013. The mayor spoke at our grand opening. They, we've sat on um, boards with her for the farmer's market, for her health initiatives. We, we do events with her that have anything to do with health. We're kind of like known as the green people. We've got USDA call us all the time to help and work with us. Would you like to? They came down and filmed us because we were the only urban egg they could find in Compton. So we're known as urban egg and 
we don't know what we're doing. I mean, we do, but kind of. But, you know, it's like we're known as the green people, the people that grow things. It's crazy. But it was absolutely God. And where God gave us the land, it was a former one-night stand motel, been torn down for 15 years, and now we offer a different kind of bed to these people. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And But it is the um, – we've been told by the locals there where we were – where all the tricks had been turned by all those streetwalkers right there and where all of the gang deals for drugs in that area because it's right on the border of the east side and west side crips. And so I'm there in the heart of <laughs> Compton, probably one of the most violent neighborhoods. And we've and even the mayor at our grand opening, we'd only been building out for six months. She said that we've already seen a decrease in sex trafficking on this block since you guys have been here. Wow. We've had prostitutes come in and be a part of the garden. Uh, Mama Black was living in an abandoned building. It's now gone across the street. And she was renting rooms for $10 a night to the mm. streetwalkers there. And she'd come over. and Well, she would send people over to get food so she could cook for her people. And then eventually, for two years, Larry and I served Thanksgiving there. We just took our Thanksgiving to the garden and set up there. And, and she sent people over and after that she actually came over and got food herself and introduced herself and mama hmm. black began to trust us because we were there all the time that that's the key and i think whenever you're dealing with city um it's that trust you know people people in a in a city context they see people come and go they're in there often for generations they know Everybody, the locals know everybody. You don't think about that with city, but, but a city very much has a community already embedded into it. And often churches are coming in as the outsider. We've noticed the same that once people know you're here for the good of my community, you're not here for what you can get because often people in a city are used to culturally and historically have, um, you know, of being exploited. They have been, and I've been told that by many city leaders in Long Beach. Yeah. They didn't trust the church. Yeah. There's funding if you come and do this, and they, they're just like, yeah, cool, you know, whatever, white people, come do this, and um, whatever, you know, we've seen you before, come and go. Um, yeah. You want us to come join your churchy church thing, and there you are on Thanksgiving just having Thanksgiving dinner yeah. in in Compton, of all places, and she comes out the second year and goes, okay, I think you're just here because you care about us. That's yeah. power. Like, boom, mic drop right there. That's powerful. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Because you chose to spend your Thanksgiving there, and and it, I can tell it's not paternalistic. Like, when you're doing community theater, when you're doing um, a garden, when you're doing those kinds of things, there's a dynamic there isn't there where yeah. it's not, I'm serving you, it's hey, come, let's do something as a community. And that's a game changer. Oh, yeah. I'm in the garden every week. Almost every week, I have regular hours. And I've got James across the street, James with a Z, who lives at the car wash. <laughs> he, he's made sure I know it's with a Z. He, he, was living, he lives in a motorhome across the street at the car wash. And he comes over and he goes, hey, hey, he's huge, huge Latino man. He goes, hey. I just came over for my hug. And I want you to know I'm watching out for your garden. I go, Aww. I know. He goes, I'm your garden angel. I go, yes, you are, James. I wow. had 
after that first Thanksgiving, I had Tanya. Um, she was one of the prostitutes who came and got food. And about five months later, she came up to me and she stopped me on the street. Actually, it was crazy because the battery was dead on my Jeep. So I'm waiting for AAA. And she came up to me and she goes, do you remember me? And I go, yeah. And she said, my name's Tanya. And she said, do you remember that you served me Thanksgiving meal? And I go, yes, I do. And she said, that was the best day of my life. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And then she proceeded to tell me how I used to go to church, but they told me I wasn't good enough and I wasn't okay, but I know I am. And I said, that's right, Tanya. You are. You're a princess. The Lord loves you. He cares deeply for you. I got to minister to her, pray for her, and then every time I'd see her on the street, she'd come up, she'd get loved, loved on you, know, hug on her and pray mm. with her. And it was amazing. Wow, that's so yeah. cool. And so, uh, I mean, are those kind of the experiences that, that you guys have had uh, one after the other, just, you know, as you're mixing with people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I never know. When I'm at the garden, I never who's going to show up. I had just some guy, random, big Samoan guy come down one day early on in the garden, and he just says, I, I always introduce myself because sometimes I have been propositioned, you know, but I just am very bold and strong and no, that's not okay. You need to leave. But he just came in and I introduced myself and said, have you, do you garden here? I don't know you. And because we rent our garden beds and he said, no, he said, I just had a fight with my wife and I just needed to get out. And I knew I could come here and just sit mm. for a little bit and calm down. I goes, well, can I pray for you? So I just prayed for him, and he's crying, and it was just a sweet time. And I said, you just sit. I'm going to work over there. If you need to talk, you just let me know. That's amazing. That and then left, but he knew he could come. That's amazing. So, you know, Deb, one of the things, I know some of our, our listeners won't be aware that a community garden, it, it, the British call them allotments. So when I lived over in Wales, you'd find them kind of along the, the railroad tracks or it might be a little part of the city where they had it. And, and British people were super into this. And, and it is a city thing. You find it in places where you don't have backyards, where you don't, but somebody says, I need to garden. I need to grow things. There are people that they feel trapped in a city where it's the concrete jungle and they just say, man, if I could just go beyond just growing a tomato, you know, tomato plant on my roof or my balcony, yeah. I need like a plot. Kind of explain what that system is. Well, you know, it was interesting when I was studying for my dissertation, read the book, The Land by Walter Brueggemann, and it's so... I love that book. I know, isn't it great? Yeah. <laughs> and I have it right here. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, the thing about a garden provides people a place to call my own, especially a community garden where each has their own plot. People come and they say, this is my plot my land to do with as I want and it gives a sense of identity mm -hmm. especially when you have cities where there's lots of immigrants and they they've already lost their land they've already lost their identity they're transplanted in a new location and maybe they can't even speak the language but they know the they know dirt they know land and somehow they get into that space and they suddenly have a sense of identity, and I belong. And I tell people the, the ground's level at the cross and the ground is level in the garden because you'll see all ethnicities mixing it up, cultures, 
and we're all sharing our 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 best garden tips and tricks and sharing our food with each mm. other and loving each other and it's just, it is powerful it's very powerful i, and I love also, yeah go I, ahead sorry that's okay i was just gonna say it's also just a a really a place of beauty especially where we're located where god stuck us in Compton, <laughs> a lot of abandoned buildings uh, that were businesses and graffiti. And I mean, it looked like gang warfare everywhere. And it's starting to change a little bit at a time. I mean, I'd love to buy the whole block, but, you know, I'm an urban ministry. I don't have the bucks. So I, yeah. I rely on donations so that it's not going to happen. But it doesn't matter because I I feel like these, this garden has provided the people what they really needed and that's a sense of ownership and belong place to belong right right and you know one of the beauties of of what you're describing whether it's with the um you know the the playhouse or even the um the garden itself um you know the stuff you're doing in the park it it provides you know, as you talked about, like, hey, what are you growing? What do you learn? It provides a conversational yeah. platform yeah. that doesn't have to be, hey, I'm, I'm Deb Wachemeyer from the church. Mm-hmm. And how are things spiritually? You're going to get into that. Like that's going to happen as you're having conversations and discussions. But I just love that you're just normal. You guys are just coming around, you know, you're, 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 it's like eating, right? It's when yeah. eating becomes this communal thing in the Bible that every human being has to eat or they wouldn't be here. Yeah. And the Bible puts so much around food that there's this commonality that you, that's why I believe that church should always eat. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's just me. Sure. That's because I'm a glutton, but, but there's this idea that there's something about that commonality. And I love in each of these situations, you're talking about something that's just natural to build yeah. those relationships and have those conversations yeah yeah it, it's very easy to have conversation and i i just find everywhere i go people you know why why are you doing this i went to a senior center to give away food one day in compton um at the request of the mayor at an event and there was this beautiful older black woman who comes up to me and she goes well, the Compton Garden haven't heard about you. And I said, yeah, we're fairly new. You know, been around a couple of years. And then she just goes, well, why? Because here I am. Bob and I are both white. And we understand that dynamic, that paternalism. And we don't want that to come across that way. But we know people are going to judge us initially that way. And she goes, why? Why Compton? She just looked me right in the eye. She was sassy. And I just looked at her and I go, because God told me to. Hmm. Honestly, that's why. And she goes, I knew it. <laughs> she said, I, and she was a Christian. That's but right. she, was just, she was just kind of like, why are you here? You know, you don't look like us. But she, <laughs> when I said, God told me to, she said, I knew it. And then it was just like this natural thing that happened. And, and people are open. I have found the easiest way to have these conversations, spiritual conversations has just been, whether it's at the theater or at the park or wherever at the garden, just, they start sharing a burden. They, when they start to trust you, they share a burden. And I just say, can I pray for you? Mm. And they're like, I've never had anyone turn me down. And it's like, yeah. 
So cool. Yeah. You know, little little known, known factoid. I think I said this to you when, when you guys were telling the story, but um, my my dad, the last eight years of his life, came to faith, and uh, and he became an Anglican priest mm-hmm. in Hollywood. And he actually, he had all his life worked in theater and Hollywood and um, all that kind of stuff and, and taught in D.C. Um, theater to kids and just been doing this all his life. And, uh, and that's what he did. That was his ministry was it, it to, to the Filipino community. Um, specifically, again, the same thing just to, to kids that couldn't afford, you know, mainly and mostly immigrants. And that was how he could serve the Lord, you know, in a way going. He was, he was, uh, able to do this, um, you know, hugely, uh, because he was, he was being supported, uh, by the church. But he's like, Hey, you know, I want these kids to have this. And it was, you know, again, it's the church being the church and doing what the church was called to do, being a blessing to the city, not just being a taker. I think if we saw the church positioning itself to, to, to be a giver rather than a taker, I think we'd be having different conversations with the world. But, um, Deb, oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, that I was just say, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> As, as clearly indicated by your life and ministry. <laughs> and, and the, the reason why I'm kind of jumping to the next question is if you had anything to say to a church planner, either, you know, newly starting out or maybe, you know, uh, you know, a little bit down the road, what, based on everything we're talking about, what advice would you give? Well, you know, Larry and I have church planted and one of the keys in all of this has been Getting to know your neighborhood and getting to know your community and not being afraid to step out and going to the leaders of that community, whether they're church leaders, whether they are city leaders, and say, what do you need? What Instead of what – here I'm here to provide this for you. It's more of what do you need and how can we come alongside of you and help you get that? Mm. you got to be honest, you know, if you can't do that as a church. But if we can, as a church, begin to say, what do you need? And I want to be here to support you and pray for you and be a blessing with nothing, no agenda at all. They're like, help. Sometimes it's just we need volunteers. For us, I've been invited in by city leaders just to talk about how we recruit volunteers. And Mm. every time I just have to say, well, we're the church and that's what we do we serve but the world is out there dying for help and we're afraid to get out there because we're afraid they have their agenda and it's all secular and we can't get involved because they're going to mess us up as a church but it's totally not that they are so blessed when the church is partnering and in the city of long beach that i've got friends and key positions now that are trying to bring the city of Long Beach and the faith community together to help on all these different big initiatives are working on because they know they can't do it alone anymore. And we're a city of a half a million. And so I would say that's one of the keys for church planning, get to know your community. And then how can we help without an agenda? That, Mm. that was for us. I I think, I think that changes the dynamic of how you feel yeah. as a, when you're ministering. I think it also frees you up just to rely on the Holy Spirit, let him create those, 
doorways. I, I definitely agree with you that no agenda. If your agenda is to go into a community and take, in other words, you think you're giving, but really you're like, hey, I'll go do this so you come to my church. Yeah. It's it's just so – It's I love that parable where Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a man who threw a banquet. And he invited the poor, the crippled, the blind, the beggar. And he goes, therefore, when you, uh, you know, the, he says, that's what I want you to do. And I think when a church, he says, people who can't repay you, that the church is not looking to be repaid, whether by butts and seats or dollars in the offering. But you're just, no, this, we can't do anything but this because this is grace in action. God has poured his grace into us. And we need to go as we've freely been given. So we say freely receive. And yeah. Anyways, so hey, we're at, we're at the end of our time, but um, I I feel like we we could keep chatting about this. But um, thank you so much, Deb, for for coming on and sharing your story. Um, now you and Larry are doing something really cool right now with Exponential on Marriage. You guys are like a veteran couple in ministry. You've been there. You've done that. Um, you know, and you're willing to open up your lives and your ministry with, uh, the next generation of, uh, planters and, and leaders and ministers. Can you tell us where people can hunt you down and listen to you? Oh, well, hunt us down and listen to us probably. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, it's because we're old. That's why we are seasoned. <laughs> they started ministry when they were four. That's right. We've been around the block a few times. Um, yeah, they can go to exponential.org. Uh, our new ebook is there, Flourish. Yes. And it's for ministry couples on how to uh, grow a level five marriage, a marriage that's not just satisfying, but one that actually moves to multiplication and having impact, kingdom impact. And they can go there. The link is there. Also, we have different videos and podcasts and different things there at exponential.org. I would say that's the probably the best place to go. Right. For that stuff. Okay. Excellent. Well, you guys heard of exponential.org. Definitely uh, check out these resources. Um, I heard Todd Wilson, founder of Exponential, say this is probably one of the most exciting things uh, that Exponential has done. And uh, I've seen Deb. You've heard Deb. I've seen Larry. I've met Larry. I've been to their church. I've seen where they're at. Um, they are in the thick of it in the trenches and worth listening to. So go check out that. My guest today has been Deb Walkemeyer in Long Beach, California. And Deb, thanks for coming on. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.